Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. And I want to remind us again that why does God tell us future things, not to scare us, but to prepare us? Why is God giving John this vision and showing him things which will take place so that John could write it down so that we could be aware of what's to come? Amen? And so I'm amazed at, at, at how people want to know the future. They want to be prepared for the future. We want to know what happens when we die. But I'm amazed at how people will, will read books and listen to stories that other people have told. This is God is saying, look, I'm giving it to you right here. In his word, God's laid out the things that you can expect the future to bring. The question is, will you take the time to read and understand what he said? Today, Pastor Bill teaches you that Jesus has made clear his intentions for the future. When you take the time to understand his word, you can rest assured that you're on the right side and that by simply adhering to his will, all fears you may have can be put to rest. Accept the future that Jesus promises, revel in it, and allow all your fears to subside. Now here's Pastor Bill in the book of Revelation chapter four for today's edition of A Transforming Word. The book of Revelation gives us its own divine outline. The outline to the book of Revelation is found where? Someone say it like you mean it. So I heard chapter one, verse what? Verse 19, okay? So chapter one, verse 19 is the divine outline for the book of Revelation. John is told there in 119, write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. The things which are, are in chapter one, that's the past. The things, I'm sorry, the things which have been, chapter one, my bad, don't write that. The things which have been, that's chapter one, that's past tense. The things that are, cover what chapters? Two and three, the church age. So last week, we finished chapter three, we finished the church age, the things that are, and then chapters four to 22 are the future, the things that will take place after this. So we, as we begin chapter four, we're beginning a new era, a new section of the book. We're now moving from the church age, the things that are, and we're moving into the, 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 four, the third portion of the book of Revelation, the future, the things which will take place after this. Chapters four and five, we go to heaven. We're going to see in heaven, there are angels in heaven, there are believers in heaven, and there's someone in heaven receiving glory and honor and worship. Who would that be? Jesus, right? The one that's enthroned. We go from the church age, then we go to heaven, and then from chapter 6 to 19, we have the tribulation period where, where pretty much all hell breaks loose on earth, and God is pouring out his wrath on a world that has rejected him, and we'll talk about that much later. So, But for our purposes today, everybody look at Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. The first three words uh, are this. It says, after these things. That phrase, if you look up that phrase after these things in the Greek, it's the Greek word metatauta. It's the same phrase that we see in chapter one, verse 19, where he says, write the things which will take place after this. So it's how we know we're moving into the next era, the next stage of the book of Revelation. After these things, we're now moving toward the future. Then the, John says, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. As we finished the church age, the last church that we looked at last week was 
we looked at the church of Laodicea. And what kind of door did we find at the church of Laodicea? What was what was happening with the door there? All right. The door was closed. Jesus was outside the church knocking at the door. If you guys remember, he told the church of Laodicea that he's knocking at the door. And if they would let him in, he said he would come in and dine with them. He would sup with them. He would he would dine with them and them with him. He was saying, let me in. I want to I'll come in and have fellowship with you. But it was interesting that God would be outside of his own church. Amen. That Jesus would be. That was the condition of the church of Laodicea. But God said, look, if y'all let me in, I'll come in and have fellowship with you. If you open up your heart to Christ, what will he do? He will come in and have intimate fellowship with you. He'll take up residence in you. If you open up your heart and let him in. Here's the interesting thing, because in the end of chapter three, Jesus is saying, look, if you guys open the door, I'll come in and dine with you. Now, in the beginning of chapter four, as we get a glimpse into heaven, John is looking up into heaven. He says, look, there's a door open. There's a door open, a door standing open in heaven. And I do believe that for those who open up their hearts to the Lord, they're going to find that there's a door standing open for them in heaven. Y'all know not everybody goes to heaven. Everybody don't. It's unfortunate, but that's the reality, right? Everybody who died. I mean, I've done a bunch of funerals. I've been to a bunch of funerals. I know that people want to be encouraged at funerals. And it just seemed like the right thing for people to say at funerals that they're in a better place. Just resting in peace. Y'all, there's a couple things we're going to learn as we go through this book. You're not necessarily. I don't think anybody's resting. First of all, heaven or hell. You're not resting. Y'all know in heaven, y'all going to do stuff. It's not what you think, right? You're not going to be on clouds with angels. You're, gonna, you're not going to turn into an angel. You're not going to turn into a, flat, a fat, fluffy, white angel and be on the clouds singing kumbaya with the harps. That's not what the Bible teaches. We're going to get a glimpse at what angels look like. A lot of people think when they die, they say, oh, oh you're going to get your wings. You ain't never going to get no wings. <laughs> so you, that's, the angels are the angels. The people are the people. We'll talk about that as we go. You're not going to get wings. You're, you know, my grandma, God bless her. She was a Christian. You know, my grandma's not flying around watching me. It may make people feel better. It's just not true. It's not the truth. Right. So everybody doesn't go to heaven. Everybody's not resting in peace. Some people are in heaven. Some people are not in heaven. If you're not in heaven, where are you? Wow. Y'all mean. <laughs> no, but that's the reality, right? If you're not in heaven, I'm just kidding. Y'all not mean. That's truthful. If you're not in heaven, there's only one other place. It's hell. There's no middle place. There's no, you know, there's no middle ground. Ain't nobody in purgatory. That's, that don't exist, right? You're in heaven or you're in hell. So these are the things that the Bible teaches. So we want to pay attention because God writes these things. Whenever God gives you future, whenever God is prophesying, when God has given us information about the future, it's not to scare you, it's to inform you, it's to prepare you. Some people look at Revelation, oh, it's a scary book. No, it's not. It's preparing you. So you make sure so when, when I read Revelation, I'm like, what? These people are in heaven. God's preparing me. That's, that's where I want to be. When I read the tribulation period in chapter 6 through 19, I see hell on earth. And I'm like, I don't want to be there. God, I'm preparing you. Make sure you're born again. When I come back, you won't be there. I've prepared you. Later on, we get to the great white throne judgment when people get thrown into the lake of fire. And I'm like, I don't want to go there. God said, that's why I told you what's going to happen. So you can be prepared to not be there because it's another group of people that's in heaven while they're in hell. So these things aren't written to scare you. They're to prepare you. Amen. So that you can be prepared to be right with God, to be in right relationship, to be in right standing. So that when you die, because we all have a date with death or rapture. That's the two ways that we're going to enter into the next realm that we enter into that place in a right relationship with the living God. So John says here, after these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard 
was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. So John is getting he's the one that's been getting the revelation it has been coming to him directly from the Lord. He sees a door standing open in heaven. A voice is speaking with him and it sounds like a trumpet. Can anybody think of anywhere else where a trumpet is important in the end time scheme of events? What else what else happens at the sound of a trumpet? The rapture, right? The rapture takes place. So I I want everybody to look at these verses with me because I I did want to explain the rapture real quick because there's there's two ways that we get to heaven. Either we die and go to heaven. Second Corinthians 5, 8, that um, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So I either die and go be with the Lord or if I'm here for the rapture, I get to go then. So let's look at everybody go to first Thessalonians chapter four, verse 16, verse 13. And I'm going to read verses 13 through 18 for us. Says this, 1 Thessalonians 4.13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep is a biblical term for people that have died. They're not taking naps. They died. Least you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Notice if we believe. So if you believe the gospel, if you're a believer, this is the reality for you. For this we say, verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And my favorite part, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Then he says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. And so um, what Paul is saying here is, look, for if you've died and gone to be with the Lord, right? He says, then we who are alive remain when the Lord comes back. We're going to be caught up together with them. We're going to be caught up together to be with the Lord. This is the word. This is the rapture. Now, we don't have the word rapture in the Bible. Some people are troubled by that. The word rapture is not even in the Bible. So so let me explain. Right. So the phrase caught up um, is that's where we get the word rapture from is in the if you had a Latin Bible, the Latin term is rapturo, where we get the word rapture from. It means to be caught up or snatched away. That's where the term comes from. The rapture is the word that we're using to describe this event where we're caught up to be with the Lord. So don't be troubled by the fact that people may have that argument. Y'all know the word Bible is not in the Bible, but we believe the Bible. Right. Right. The, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. So we know that the Trinity is taught. Right. The Bible tells us that there's there's one God, but we see the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So we've our term for that is the Trinity. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the teaching of the Trinity is. I know when I say Bible, though the word Bible is not in my Bible, that when I talk about this 66 book collection of scriptures, I'm calling it the Bible. That word is not in the Bible, but we see that this is what the Bible is. So same with the word rapture. The word is not in the Bible in English. Uh, It is in Latin. You get the Latin Vulgate is there, but it comes from the phrase to be caught up. And so it's taught there in First Thessalonians four and elsewhere. So the two ways that we get to heaven is death or rapture. And that's only true for you if you're a believer. So 
If you die and you're not a believer, we've already discussed that, you go to hell. If you die, I'm oh no, sorry, if you're alive at the time of the rapture and you're not a believer, what happens to you? You get left behind. Can you imagine that? I just can't imagine if, if one is going to be cataclysmic, it's going to be an amazing event for believers to be just in a moment. It says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we're, boom, we're gone. Like it's all a wrap. And I just think of all the believers everywhere. I think of what about believers that are pilots? Dang, you know, like all the people on the plane. It's like, what about believers? All the vehicles, all the air. I mean, just everywhere where believers are gone. What about marriages that are that are not? Both people ain't saved. One's gone. Parents that ain't saved and got kids that are kids gone. I mean, it's it's gonna be it's gonna it's gonna rock the world. When I see the world talking about like alien, just making up dumb stuff, you know, I don't know how as intelligent a people as people are. They believe in things that they've never seen, aliens and spaceships. You ain't never seen a UFO. I, I mean, some of that stuff, I'll be, I'm like, it takes more faith to believe that. But I wonder sometimes if those things aren't the enemy's way of just like, I'm just putting something in place that'll help them explain this when it happens. Because what are they going to say happen when just all the believers are gone? I want to hear the news. I want to just tune in. Let me hear you. I want, what do you say? What do y'all have to say? Somebody hopefully will open up a Bible and, and figure it out. But... You know, those are the two ways that we enter into eternity. So um, back to Revelation four here again, John is, is having this encounter with the Lord. He's been this, this revelation, this vision is being given to him. Um, he heard what was like a trumpet speaking and it was an invitation to come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. We got that phrase again, take place after this. Um, and so, again, we know that we're in the portion of Revelation that's dealing with the future. John's being told, come up here. I'm going to show you the things that must take place. And I want to remind us again that why does God tell us future things, not to scare us, but to prepare us? Why is God giving John this vision and showing him things which will take place so that John could write it down so that we could be aware of what's to come? Amen. And so I'm, I'm amazed at, at, at how people want to know the future. They want to be prepared for the future. We want to know what happens when we die. But I'm amazed at how people will will read books and listen to stories that other people have told. This is God is saying, look, I'm giving it to you right here. Somebody has say they had a near death experience and write a book and sell it to you and say, I went there and I saw it. And it was like this and it was like that. And they use the experience to tell you whatever they want to tell you. And sometimes people are faster to believe those things. They read that book. And I'm like, we don't even know if it's true. Y'all know that some of them people have recanted. There was one where it was a kid who supposedly, you know, saw this stuff. And then he later on said his mom told him to say it and he made it up and it wasn't true. And he liked the attention he was getting. He done sold books and made a movie on a lie. And people were like, oh, this is so amazing. I had Christians. You should read this. And I'm like, no, I want to read that. Here's why. The Apostle Paul actually went, the Bible tells us he went to the third heaven. He saw it. You know what he said? He said, if I put this into my own, it would be a crime for me to put in the word. I don't have words to describe what I'm seeing. So I, I can't even say nothing. That's what Paul said. He went. So when, you know, Tamala down the street say she went and she wrote it in a book and going to charge me $9.95 for me to read it. I got quite, I question that. I'm, I'm like, Paul went and said, if I put that in the words, it'd be robbery. You just have to wait till you get there. I can't even explain all this, which agrees with the scriptures, which says first Corinthians 2, 9, God says, I have not seen nor ear heard, nor have it entered into the hearts of man. The things that God has prepared for those who love him. You ain't even dreamed it up yet. What God is preparing for those who love him. So anyway, 
Here we got John on the island of Patmos getting specific revelation. And God says, I'm going to give you a glimpse through John. So if you want to know about heaven, you want to know what's happening there. I'm giving you a little bit. Why does God hold back so much? You know, the Bible gives us more information about hell than heaven. I think God is giving us something to look forward to. God's like, I'm going to give you enough. I'm going to give you enough. You know, you want to be there because I'm there. You know you want to be there. We, we know a few things. No sorrow, no pain, no suffering, streets of gold, pearly gates, whoopty wham wham. But we don't know very much. Hell I know a lot about. Outer darkness, weeping and wailing, gnashing of teeth, fire and brimstone, forever and ever and ever. The worm don't die. I'm like, why do I know so much about hell? And the heaven I just know it's, it's going to be cool. I know I'm gonna do, we're going to have something to do. It won't be hell, you know. I think God's just holding out on some surprises for us. So anyway, it says... Uh, after these things, he heard these things. Verse two says, immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. So John tells us that he was in the spirit. Um, if you guys remember in chapter one, verse 10, when he was also receiving revelation from God, it said, John said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and he heard a voice speaking to him. And so here he says, look, I was in the spirit. And then behold, he begins to, to, to lay out these things. He saw this a throne set in heaven. So I don't believe John physically was taken there. I believe that he's in the spirit and God is revealing these things to him and he's writing them down for us. But it's interesting to note that it's when he's in that place, it, it's just, the Bible takes careful care to tell us he was in the spirit. Now, what's the opposite of being in the spirit? In the flesh. So that's just for free. You know, that if, if you struggle with getting revelation and clarity from God, you know, we, we want to we you know, we also can be in the spirit as we walk in submission to the spirit, as we yield to the spirit. The spirit of God lives in every believer. And as you yield to the work of the Holy Spirit, you are you, it can be said of you and me that we're in the spirit. We're walking in the spirit. There's also if you're not walking in the spirit, you can be resisting the spirit, quenching the spirit, grieving the spirit. We don't want to do any of those. You want to be yielding to the spirit, walking in, filled with, you know, we want to we want the Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives. And we're yielding and submitting to what he's doing. John is here and he's, he's in the spirit. And as he's in this place, he's getting great revelation from God about heaven. He says, behold, there's a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. I want you to know that the the whole scene of heaven is always centered around the throne and the one who's seated on the throne. That is the big deal in heaven is the throne and the one that's seated on the throne. Who's on the throne? Jesus. We're going to see later that, that it's the Lord, that he's on the throne. He's the one that's there. But I just want you to get in the heavenly scene. When we get a glimpse of heaven, all the focus and all the attention is, is on the throne. And as we live on earth, we, we're taught to pray um, in Matthew's gospel that it would be done on earth even as it is where? In heaven. So when I look, when, I'm, when I get these glimpses in the heaven, I see, wow, look at all the focus is on the throne. All the focus is on the Lord. All the glory is going to the Lord. It's giving you and me a glimpse of what it needs to be like down here. That I got to get myself into a place where my, I have more of a heavenly focus. That I can't be so focused on stuff that, just temporal stuff, the stuff that really don't matter. The challenge for you and I as we live down here, we're seeing stuff around us and sometimes we get caught up in the stuff that we see. And we, that's what we're thinking about. That's what we're focused on. That's what we're dreaming about. We want to have some stuff and go to do that and have it. And that could become our whole focus. And God is saying, I want to give you a glimpse of what really does matter. Right. That you would get a, that you would get a glimpse of me, that you would you would understand that, that that it'd be better for you. You would do better down here if you had a focus that was up there. 
Now, I've heard people say this, and it's stupid when they say it. That person is so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. You know, that's not that can't be true. Right now, I've seen people be so religious and silly that they're not helpful. But if you're really genuinely heavenly minded, you will be the most earthly good. The Apostle Paul was so heavenly minded. Right. He was significantly used by God. And he was so heavenly minded, even though he was being put in jail for sharing the gospel, he was being beaten for his testimony that Christ had risen. Had he been earthly minded, he could have said, I'm going to slow down on this preaching thing because everywhere I go, they don't want to hear me anyway. They put me in jail. They beat me. The believers backstabbed me over there. Paul could have said, if he was earthly minded, I'm going to slow down on this preaching thing. But he said something different. One of my favorite verses, because it's kind of gangster. Paul says in Romans 8, 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul said, look, this little bit of stuff y'all put me through, jailing me, beating me. Imagine that he's saying this to the jailers, right? This little suffering that y'all put me through don't even compare to the glory that's going to be revealed. Paul was saying, "I'm, I'm focused on the next life already. So if you beat me, I get a reward for it. So bring it. Paul said for me to live is Christ and to die is what? So if you kill me, I get a reward for that. So nah, how do you, you can't stop a guy that's that heavenly minded. Paul's like, look, if you kill me for preaching the gospel, I get a reward for that. So I'm not going to stop preaching because you're threatening to kill me. We're going to beat you and jail you. Well, then the suffering that I, this present time is not worthy to be compared. I get rewarded for that too. So you can beat me, jail me, kill me. I'm going to do my thing. That's a heavenly minded man. Amen. So don't, don't, let, don't ever let anybody tell you that someone is, can be too heavenly minded to be earthly good. You're only good on earth. You're only useful on earth when you truly are heavenly minded. When you're not focused on the things of this earth, but you're focused way beyond this place. I'm living for something else. This is not home. This is not forever. This is all temporary at best. So I'm living for the life that's to come. Amen. That's how Paul was living. So again, he sees the throne set in heaven and one who sat on the throne. Verse three. And he who sat there was like a jasper and sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. So um, we get the this these these stones, the jasper and the sardis stones. These are it says that the one that sat on the throne was like these things. So this is probably the, the colors of light that was coming forth. The jasper would have been like a diamond. So white light would have come from the jasper. The sardis is a, a red stone. So there have been white and red light coming forth from the throne. And it says that there was a rainbow around the throne. And so the rainbow was God's covenant that he wouldn't do what again? Flood the earth again. Now, y'all know the rainbow got hijacked by another group. Y'all know. So, but the rainbow originally, right, the rainbow was in Genesis, God had destroyed the earth by a flood. And after he did so, because it was so wicked, he said, I'm never going to do that again. If you don't know where it's at, I'm going to read it with you guys. In Genesis 9, I'll read 11 through 17, Genesis chapter 9 with you guys. You can write that down. Genesis chapter 9, 11 through 17. This is what it says. God speaking, thus, I will establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by water, by the waters of a flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. 
It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. I'll stop right there. So that was a rainbow. So every time you see a rainbow outside, it's just a reminder. God says, I created a rainbow as a sign. You've been listening to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Today's message from the book of Revelation is available to listen to again on our website. Just visit CalvaryEnglewood.org and click on media, or you can download our mobile app to listen to more teachings. You'll find a link on our website. You can also search for Calvary Chapel Inglewood in our app store. If you're looking for a place to connect this weekend, we'd love for you to join us for church. Look on our website for the latest times and locations for services. We're a group of people who love to learn from God's Word and be together as a family of God. Again, our website is calvaryinglewood.org. As we've looked into the book of Revelation, keep in mind that this book is not all doom and gloom. It ends the way the Bible began, in paradise. For those who love and follow Jesus, this book provides hope in God rescuing us from all that is broken and corrupt. So keep looking for that in the midst of much heartache here on earth. If you felt the blessing of this ministry in your life, we'd love for you to partner with us in praying for those who hear a transforming word. As the message go out, many listeners may be hearing about the Lord for the very first time. This ministry is a great opportunity to share the good news of Jesus and his salvation. We ask that you pray for ears to be opened, hearts to be softened, and for lives to be changed. That's all we have time for today. Join us again for another edition with Pastor Bill on A Transforming Word.